We chose to celebrate our Christmas season focusing upon that beautiful song written in the 1800s, O Holy Night. Tremendous lyrics, faith-building lyrics in that entire piece. But we chose as a series title, A Thrill of Hope. And I pray that during this message and during the ones to follow, that God will brighten your hope to a point of thrilling again in the context of the gospel. Today's first message I've titled, The Stars Are Brightly Shining. Two wonderful lines describing heavenly activity on earth brought about by the birth of Jesus Christ who causes heaven's action to be born and continue in the lives of people who open up their heart by faith to him. We know this song, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Stars and hope. It reminds me of a song of one of my favorite singers, Jiminy Cricket. When you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires will come to you. I love that song even now. I loved it. First time I heard it, watching Pinocchio, the Disney movie, way back in the day for me. And I remember loving Sunday evening when the wonderful world Disney would come on and Tinkerbell would come across the new in color, that's how old I am, screen, and brighten the light of the castle with her wand. And then you would hear the music to When You Wish Upon a Star. And T. McGee, this young kid with red hair and freckles, would get ready to watch. And Dad would come up, flip the TV channel to... 60 minutes. And instead of having childlike wonder, I began to realize, oh no, I got to go to school in the morning. And then I started to think about reality as I heard them talk in the 60s about how cigarette smoking can bring cancer and how the Vietnam War uh, casualty numbers are rising and political corruption in the world. Oh, geez. Right? <laughs> Don't you wish you could get away from it? That's the world. But in the midst of a world like that, in the midst of the world the way it was, the way it has been, is, and probably will be, there is a real hope. And the stars are brightly shining. It doesn't take long in our life to have that childhood, childlike wonder become a, I wonder if it's true. I wonder if I can really put my hope in people, my hope in people's promises, my hope that something better is coming. How many people start out with childlike wonder and childlike hope only to begin to lose a little bit and then a lot of bit as hardship and heartache and hate surrounds? And we wonder, 
What can you hope in? One of the reasons I do what I do is when I was an early 20-something, I saw a picture of a teenager standing on the streets of London with a blue jean jacket on, embroidered on the back, London, there is no hope. That was in 1982. I wonder what people think now. But the birth of Jesus is the event that brought the hopes and fears of all the years to a manger where God and people could be reconnected. One of the early leaders of the church, Paul, described the coming of Jesus like this. In the fullness of time, God brought forth his son, Jesus. God made a promise all the way back in the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, to Adam that one of the sons that would come from his life would be the one who would smash the prince of darkness's devastation and bring brand new life to light in the world through somebody being born. Later on in the book of beginnings, this same God makes friendship with a man named Abraham. And since a man named Abraham began walking by faith with the faithful God, the promises God made became known as the hope of Israel. Let's go back, and I want to take you on a journey in a few passages of Scripture as we build this link of chains of hope that God promises even to us. Let's go back to the first book of the Bible, and in the 15th chapter, we read this about the hope of Israel and the hope of the world. And he, God, took him, Abraham, outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he, God, said to him, Abraham, so shall your descendants be. Then Abraham believed in the Lord, and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. Notice in that passage the connection between hope, heaven, and stars. The next passage is a weird passage. There are some things in the Bible that are really exciting, really mystifying, really confusing, and really weird. This is a weird part of the Bible where there is this prophet of God named Balaam who is on the take. He preaches for a price. He tells people what they want to hear, but he has a real gift from God. Think about it. A real gift from God. And there is an, there's a king who hates Israel, and he thinks that this prophet named Balaam has the power that what he says will come to pass. So he thinks, I want to offer this guy money to speak a curse upon God's people, God's armies, because I want to overpower them. And so he offers to Balaam, and Balaam says, mm, well, think about it. I'll come your way, and let's, let's, talk, let's talk turkey. Let's talk a price. So Balaam comes along. Now, Balaam is dumber than his donkey. And he says he's going to go there and he's going to do what this king pays him to do. But when he goes to do that, the Holy Spirit of God comes upon Balaam with such power and insight 
that he is unable to curse what God will never curse. And so even though he meant to curse, he looks and he sees with his spiritual gift how God is going to bless the people who trust him. And he says this, he, God, has not looked at misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the joyful shout of a king is among them. And then Balaam says, I see him. He's speaking of a future someone, but not now. This is centuries before Jesus is born. The prophets have the ability to look down through time as a gift from God's Holy Spirit and see the future as the now. I see him, but not now. I look at him, but not near. And then he says this, a star shall appear in Jacob, in Israel. A scepter, he mentions a king, will rise from Israel. The hope of Israel is getting more defined and God even uses a prophet on the take to tell about this star and this king who's coming. Notice again, heaven, hope, and the stars. But then we come to one of the greatest of the great prophets of Israel, Isaiah, son of Amos. He's the one that saw the Lord high and lifted up in the year that a very popular king had died. And he saw the Lord in the temple and the train of his robe filled the entire temple. And he heard the angelic powers saying, holy, holy, holy. And then he heard a question, who will go and preach for us? And Isaiah said, here I am. And then God touches his life. And through the ministry of Isaiah, he is able to see the future and begin to tell the story. And when we read what we're going to read, it's as if Isaiah is an eyewitness of the nativity that isn't going to happen for over 600 years. God's future promises will always come true. Chapter nine, verse one. There will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. That's a thrill of hope right there. For a weary world, described. We're gonna put another link in the scripture chain in a moment, but I want to pause right here and just talk to you for a minute. I'm talking to you about, and we're going to go back in the Bible, but I just wanted to like just pause right here and just us ask you this question. How's your hope? How's your hope going? I'm not saying as somebody that's above you or I'm Mr. Hope here. I'm just, let's get real. How is your hope? Has your hope grown dim a lot of reasons why it could right now, right? Not just a pandemic, but a lot of things. I was thinking about the three D's that cause hope to lose its thrill and grow dim. Here's one. Hope delayed. Hope delayed, where you have your hope and you think it's coming, but it seems like it's still out there out of reach. 
Maybe you thought you had a promise from God. Maybe you do. Or maybe you have your hope in something and you're waiting for it. And and the question you live under in hope delayed is, how long? How long? But then there is hope disappointed. And the question is, how wrong? For instance, you put your hope in a guy. He's the one you thought. You thought. Maybe you even thought God let. And now you're thinking about how wrong was I? Can I? Do I really have discernment? Do, can I really trust my own way of navigating through this? Even at times thinking that maybe God, how wrong? And there's even a third D. Hope denied. Hope gone. You can even be a believer. You can even love Jesus. You can even be pretty biblically solid and be in one of those D's. One of the issues that we struggle with as Christians is knowing what Jesus did in the first advent, first coming, and hearing from people who misunderstand the kingdom manifestation or revelation of Jesus, who then assume, and there are promises said, that we think and assume and hope, and we should hope, because when you're suffering, you want to have something to believe in, that we think that every first advent action that Jesus brought when he was here will happen in our here between the first and the second advent. And when we only believe, only believe, that Jesus will always do what is only promised for all in the second advent while we're in the first. Friend, you can not only have hope disappointed, John the Baptist, uh, will you go ask him, are you the one? I didn't, I didn't read the prison part in the prophecy that was given to me that I was to fulfill in Isaiah's call. I didn't get the prison part. Are you the one? See, he was thinking second advent now. Lazarus is resurrected from the one who comes to show all what the second advent will be for all. But he didn't raise everybody that day And he even wept before raising Lazarus, perhaps knowing that not all would get a manifestation of the second in the first. Mary, Martha, we had hoped if you would have come with, and there are many people who are standing on promises that are not always guaranteed in the first advent, but are all guaranteed in the second. Well, Tim, how do you know the difference? That's above my pay grade. Way out of my league of intelligence. And yours, and every preacher. We can love Jesus, have faith, and expect every second Advent reality in the first and lose hope in the God of hope.
B.A. Paris in her book Behind Closed Doors talks about a woman realizing her once perfect marriage ended up in a lie. She said, I cry even harder thinking of how it could have been, of how I thought it would be. For the first time, I want to give up to die because suddenly everything is too much and there is no solution in sight. Or it's like the social worker who came back from a ministry trip to the starving children in Zimbabwe. She said, when you look into their faces, it's like something that was in there got up and gathered its things and walked away. Delayed, disappointed. How long, how wrong? Hope gone? This could lead to the fourth dimension which is a terrible pit to be in. It's hope despised. It's where your hope is gone and bitterness has come. Cynicism is on the throne. And then when someone with hope comes near your circle, you can't help but try to kill theirs. Hope despised. It's a pit where people will even manipulate through cynicism and sarcasm, a Joseph coming along with a dream. And you can't live alone in your pit of despair, so you seek to pull others into the vacuum of your own pain. The Bible calls that a root of bitterness that defiles many. It's when a hurting person comes to a place of hopelessness and can no longer receive grace to find a place of rest to heal the heart because in order to receive grace, you have to trust. I'm not saying that to put anybody down because, man, listen, in the ministry, I lived there. I have friends who've lived there. Do you know there are people in the Bible, great people in the Bible, who lived there? Even some of the giants. But you know what I can say to you? I can say to you, not because of me, but because of God. He lifted me out of the pit of despair. Put a new song in my heart. A song of praise to my God. And I hope that many can see and hear my pit friend put their trust in the Lord. Some of the greatest believers are those who get rescued out of the pit of despair. And don't feel bad if you're there. You know what? When John the Baptist was there and and what he said got out to the crowds, you know what Jesus did for John? He covered him up. He said, hey, what'd you go out to see? A wimp shaking in the wind? What'd you go out to see, a man in fine clothes? Oh, that's those boys up there in the temple and in the palace. No, no. Did you go out to see a prophet? Yes. And greater than that, there is nobody born of women greater than John the Baptist. Let me tell you what Jesus will do for you. He will cover your pit of despair with words about you that you don't even believe anymore. Come on, somebody. Are you out there today? 
We get to like the baseball uh, stadiums and get cardboard cutouts to sit in here. Send it at $49.95. No, I'm just kidding. Balaam. Anyway, let's keep going. He loves you in your pit of despair. You don't love you. Man, I did, uh, there's been times that I not only didn't like myself, I hated myself. A lot of people don't turn outward in their pit of despair, they turn inward. And even in that, Jesus loved me and Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. You can't talk him out of it. Let's go back to Isaiah. Heaven's king came looking for the hopeless. Isaiah 9, I'm reading it from the voice translation. And you, God, will make it happen. Come on, listen. You bolstered the nation, making it great again. He's looking into the future, seeing the birth of this baby and the, and the effect it will bring. You have saturated it with joy, the nation. Everyone in it is filled with delight in your presence, like the joy they experience at the harvest, like the thrill of dividing up the spoils of war. There's going to be Im- immense prosperity and no more war. But you have to understand this. When the prophets saw the future, they couldn't see the slice of the advents. They couldn't understand and discern how it would all fit. And neither could Israel when Jesus came. They were waiting for literal water to flow and you drink it and have eternal life. The literal lamb and the lion to lie down together. And the rich be made poor and the poor lifted up to become rich. And the mighty powerful kings that oppressed them to be brought down. And the lowly of the earth brought up. And they waited for it. We're going to rock Rome out of here. That's not the way it happened in the first advent. Oh, he's going to rock in the second. The lamb isn't coming second time. The lion is. We get that wrong too. Oh, I get so tempted to preach 20 messages every time. Anyway, let's go to the next verse, verse four. For as you did back in the day, you will shatter the yoke that burdens them. This is talking about darkness, spiritual darkness off your life, not armies and not political leaders. You will shatter the yoke that burdens them. You will lift the load that weighs them down. You will break the rod of the oppressor. The oppressor is Satan. It's true. He says, all the fabric of war will go up in flames. The troops' heavy boots that stamped us down. Right now there are demonic troops coming to stamp you down and Jesus will have none of it if you get in the ark with him. Be burned beyond recognition or use. There will be a new, fresh start. Look at your neighbor or whoever you're sitting by and say, there will be a new, fresh start. How many of you would like that? That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Next verse. Hope of all hopes. Dream of our dreams. A child is born. A son is given to us. He is great. The power of leadership and the weight of authority will rest on his shoulders. His name? His name will be many things. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting, what do you need? Father, prince of peace. His leadership will bring such prosperity as you've never seen before. Sustainable peace for all time. This child, verse 8, God's promise to David 
a throne forever among us, to restore sound leadership that cannot be perverted or shaken, ensure justice without fail, absolute equity. The fulfillment of that, friend, is second advent. Give all the money you want to your causes. Thank God for everything that works out for a little bit. But until this child who is king of the universe comes, that's when justice will be sure and equity will be absolute. And the intense passion of the commander of heavenly armies will carry this to completion. If I was a betting man, I would bet on the coming of Jesus and the kingdom that will last forever. The prophets are telling us the stars still shine for those who have eyes to see. Our sun, I don't think of our sun as a star, but our lot, our sun is a star. When I think about the love of God for every person, picture it like this. Let's say the star, I know this is not scientifically possible, but the picture of the sun rays just warm, not scorching you, just warm, and a light that guides. The full force of the sun concentrated completely on you. You're a flower in the midst of a field of thousands of flowers, and all of the warmth and light of the sun beams right on you. And now think of that as being God's love. That is how it is for every person. Who's ever lived, living, ever will. Not everybody gets that love though. Not everybody will receive that love. But for those who do, all the promises of the hope of Israel, he will loyally commit to you. The stars are brightly shining. One of the little flowers in the LOH church is a young mom I asked her permission to share her testimony that she shared this past week with our LOH ladies on Facebook. She said I could. It's a story like so many that begin with childlike hope, but then has hope lost. Let's see where it goes from there. She says, when I was very young, my family was the typical American dream family. My dad had a great job and my mom stayed home with us six kids. My childhood was great until it wasn't. My dad started drinking and quickly became very abusive in my family and my world turned upside down. My dad lost his job and we left our childhood home leaving my dad behind. I remember, write, I remember writing my prayers on little pieces of paper and sticking them under my pillow hoping maybe God would hear them Things like, quote, God, please let my dad stop drinking and stop hurting us. God, please let my parents get back together. I longed and longed for my family to be whole again. I just wanted that at-home feeling back. In middle school, I was so very depressed and riddled with anxiety. I used my health issues like diabetes to help me get out of school and spend more time with my mom because I was worried she would leave me too. 
I turned to self-harm and self-destructive behaviors to help me cope. The little bit of family I had left was ruined. I moved in with a friend during my late high school years, desperate to be a part of a family. That's when I learned of my dad's passing away after years of no contact with him. I ended up in church with my friend, finally forging a relationship with God that I never had before. I started to realize that my biological family may never be whole again, but what a great family I could have within the church and with God. Since then, my relationship with my mom and siblings has improved greatly. They are a big part of my life. Even better, I met my husband and we became our own family. What I had always prayed for, now, with our kids, I finally have that at-home feeling that I've always longed for. It seems my life has come full circle and it couldn't have been without God. I was often impatient in my journey, praying and begging God to give me some type of family. I wanted to belong. I wanted my good childhood back, the one before everything went downhill. Now I'm so very grateful to be able to create that for my own kids and to have a church family that is amazing. I'm still not a very patient person, but I often remind myself when I look back at my life that being patient is worth it and God will answer your prayers in only ways he can. This is never the way I imagined God would answer my prayers. I am in awe of everything he has brought me through and often use it as a reminder to be patient and abide in him, even if that means doing so for years and years. If you are like I was, lonely and wanting to belong somewhere, wanting a family, be patient and pray and know that God can bring you something greater than you imagined. And then she ends with the Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Isn't that a great testimony? So even if you've wished on a star for a long time and then got disappointed because that star was fake, and you wonder who or what you can hope in, someone's looking for you. You can open your heart to Jesus. You can share your wishes and your weariness, your hunger and hurts, your secrets, your sadness, your thoughts, your dreams. 
and your sins, and your sins. And you can share them with the one who knows. But he loves people in the pit. The manger that he was laid in at birth, that thing was on the ground, a cattle trough. You can't get lower than that. What's he saying? However low you feel, I'll get lower. For God so loved the world. I want to close with this. Your hope for love and my hope for love, you longing to live to the fullest can be found, and it is found one place, one person. It's found in Jesus. Not about him, in him. In him. And him in you. Here's how Jesus said it. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. Thirty years later, one of his first followers who had gone from being a fisherman to a fisher of men, Simon Peter, writing his last goodbye letter to the church in Rome, knowing that he would soon be executed just because he believed in this hope and preached about the one who brought it. He was going to die. He knew it. And he was writing to people who were in that kind of a storm of faith where God wasn't coming from the clouds then to rescue them from Nero, who had faith but didn't bind Nero to keep Nero and the powers away from the authoritative power of the Christians who in the name of Jesus thought they could stop what was coming. So Simon reminded them of the true context. God has brought you by his mercy to a place where you've been born again to a living hope. He knew that some of them weren't going to live. And he was pointing them to what lives beyond their life, a living hope, guaranteed, pointing to something they needed to believe in, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So that you and I could obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved where? In heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation to be revealed when? In the last time. Until then, even though now we are facing trials of fire, then your faith will have been proven of something greater than gold. We have to get that right, or we'll leave our hope misplaced in an advent that we're not in. The thrill of hope is in Jesus. Jesus is the one who comes into our lives now and says, let me share the unlimited love I have for you, with you. Jesus 
is the one who will shepherd us through the paths of this life in a righteous way for his glory. Jesus. He's the one who, in the midst of all of it, longs to bring healings, plural, healings, plural, to my heart and your heart because he's committed with eternal loyalty and his loving kindness to his people. Balaam, dumber than a donkey, having the gift of God that he merchandised for his own financial gain, standing to curse, couldn't curse because God showed him what could not be cursed, his people. And I end with this. Here's the last thing Balaam said. And here, if we live in this kind of faith by the grace of God, with a hope that's unquenchable, even in the midst of things that won't change, by the grace of God. Balaam looks at God's people and he says this. Numbers 23.10, listen. Let me die the death of the upright. Let my end be like his. Christians in hope and the grace of God not only live well, they die well. When I was in college, I heard a missionary, Charles Greenaway, tell a story about the time he spent in Africa preaching in tribes and seeing tribal people converted to Christ. And one time, one of the chiefs of the tribes came to him and asked if he could come to Jesus. And Charles asked him why. He said, I've watched people in my tribe as they die, die with faith. And he said, listen, your people die well. I want to know that Jesus. Did you hear that? Let me die the death of the upright. Let my end be like his, because our end isn't an end, it's a beginning. Would you pray with me? Lord, everyone watching or listening hopes to find love. Help them to know that love is wanting to find them. Everyone hopes for good life. Help them to know that abundant life is being offered to them in Jesus. Everyone hopes to make it to a place where they feel home with others and loved. And then after this life, live forever in eternal life. Help them to know that heaven came to them when they couldn't go to heaven. When they couldn't reach up, you reached down. When they couldn't get up, you came down. And I pray that everybody here that needs Jesus right now, everybody watching, everybody listening, now or later, in the time that you make for them, right now would have the power of the grace of God as you are like a potter working on their heart that's hopeless or hurting or hard. And your mercy and tender love would just continue to squeeze, not the pain to stay, but the pain to leave. And just as we heard the testimony of a young woman that you would start to do that right now. I ask you, everybody that's listening right now, just say this, Jesus, I want to put my heart in your hand. Jesus, I want to put my heart in your hand. Right now, by faith, I put my heart in your hand, and I ask you to heal it, start healing it. I ask you to 
wash it from the wickedness and the weariness and the worry and the presence of the world in it. You promised that you would give me a new heart. Lord, I pray that you would give people who are calling out on the name of Jesus right now, regardless of where they've been, what they've done, how they feel about themselves, or even how religious people might look at them. You look at them with love like the sun, shining on them alone. Let them be rescued as they dive by faith into your love and begin to give them a new heart. And for my brothers and my sisters who are walking in a mystery, living on I don't understand God Avenue, walk up next to them and tell them how to walk through life and not shipwreck their faith over a mystery that you and your sovereignty are choosing not to explain and give them something better than an answer. Let them know your presence is always better than an answer to a question. And give them you. I know that I don't even have to ask you that. You already have your arms out for them and you're just saying, hey, here I am. Anyone who is weary and heavy laden, let me give you rest. And let them run in your arms, Lord. And in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of loss, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship, may they feel Emmanuel, God, with them. I'm going to tweak Jiminy Cricket's words and walk off the stage after singing to you the way it would be sung in the context of Emmanuel. If your Lord gives you his dream, no request is too extreme. When you wish upon his star, his dreams come true. God bless you. Hold on to hope. Hope is holding on to you.